Well, if you have your word, the Word of God with you, I want you to open it up to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to continue on in our series looking at spiritual warfare. And today we're going to look at uh, the enemy, the flesh. We, last week we started off looking at our enemy, the world. And now we're going to look at the enemy, the flesh. And so we pray that this has been a blessing to you as we've started through this series. If you stand with me one last time as we read the Word of God together. All right, so we're going to start off Galatians 5, verse 16. This is where we're going to start, all right? Galatians 5, verse 16. It says this, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual morality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. Praise be to God for his word. You may be seated. You know, movies in real life are very much apart from one another. In fact, there's a lot of movies that you watch that you have to really buy in to the premise of the movie. I once saw a movie once where the whole premise of the movie was people actually breaking back into prison in order to kind of, you know, look at the prison system and, you know, see how they can really look at if the prison is really secure or not. In the real world, people do not break back into prison. In fact, in the real world, nobody who's been to prison in any part of the world, here in America, wherever, wants to go back to the penitentiary. It is not a place where you have much freedom. It's not a place where you have much liberty. It's a place where you are confined. It's a place where, sadly, people are treated like animals. Yet our own nature is like the person who has a mind that's been convoluted. Our own nature is like the person who desires to go back to prison. Our own nature is like the person who desires to be back in bondage to sin. In fact, Peter affirms this truth in 2 Peter 2.22, talking about the old nature and how it works. He says this, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a wall sow or a pig returns to wallowing in the mud. Last week, we looked at our first enemy. We looked at the world, and we saw how this world system is not aligned with the kingdom of God, and it's ruled by the evil one. Yet in this spiritual war, we face another enemy. We face the flesh. Now, we live in this world system, yet we live daily also wrestling with our old nature as well. Wrestling with those things does not make you a bad Christian. In fact, it just shows that this indeed is the battle that we're in. 
That we ask the question, what did the finished work of Christ do for us? If we're still wrestling with some of this old nature and wrestling with some of these things, what did the, old, what did the finished work of Christ do for us as believers? Well, in his letter to the Galatians, Paul actually answers this question emphatically. In Galatians 5.1, he says this, For freedom, Christ set us free. So if you ever want to know what Christ came to do, he came to set the captive free. He says this when he's quoting the book of Isaiah. He says, look, I'm here to set at liberty the, those who are captive. He says, for freedom Christ has set us free. So then he says, stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. So essentially he's saying, you've been set free, so remain free. Don't go back to wallow in the mud because guess what? You no longer identify as a pig. See, when you're a new creation, you're no longer wallowing in the mud of the old creation. When you're a kingdom citizen, you have no allegiance now to the old citizenship you used to have. Your visa is now expired and done away with. You don't need it to be reissued at all. Because the visa you now have is a passport that does not end. It is eternal and will take you into glory. So guess what? You don't have to go back and say, I wish I had my old visa. Because that kingdom is crumbling. It's going down and it's going to come to an end where guess what? Only those who are not in Christ will go down with it. So in this freedom we have in Christ. This freedom we have, it is not a license to sin. In fact, it's not a license to live anywhere you want. We don't go from one ditch to the next. No, we don't live in sin so that grace can abound more. No, we live in the freedom that we have in Christ, living according to the Spirit. However, the other side of the coin is this idea of legalism. We don't enact a, a, a bazillion rules to keep people straight. Sometimes we get into that. It's like, okay, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. And people are like, well, what can I enjoy? No, we don't go off into that ditch either. But people will say, well, if you don't tell people all the stuff they can't do, then guess what they're going to do? They're going to do, no, if you tell a person who's filled with the Spirit, live by the Spirit, the Spirit of God is powerful enough to keep them on a straight and narrow. We oftentimes, especially, you know, in America, it's bad. We talk so much about the Holy Spirit. We talk so much about the power of the Spirit. And all we want to talk about is gifts. We never want to talk about moral character change that comes from being filled with the Spirit of God. If all you want to do is talk about gifts, and all you want to do is talk about look how powerful you are, and yet you don't talk about the transforming powerful work of the Spirit of God, you have missed out on the true manifestation and work of the Holy Ghost. I started preaching already. I ain't even gotten into it. Y'all excited this morning. What? Hey, okay. It is freedom that we have. And it is kept by walking and living in the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is our first point. The flesh is at war against the Spirit. The flesh is at war with the Spirit. We see that in the text, and it tells us this reality of the, the Spirit being at war with the flesh. For freedom is Christ has set us free. So stand free in that, stand free of that freedom. He says, look, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. 
We indeed as followers of Christ have victory in Jesus. That's where we start from. We're starting from a place of victory. He rescues us from the kingdom of darkness, places us into the kingdom of light. And these two kingdoms are against one another. Now here's a note for us here. Don't think of the kingdom of darkness in the kingdom of light here. Think of it this way. Kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness. See, God is not on some equal playing field with the devil. This, the devil is a created being who is subjected and under the authority of the being, the one and only the God who is supreme over all. The devil, what he tries to do is undercut the kingdom of God. So he uses all the tools and tactics that he can. The people of the light are called to live according to a kingdom agenda. To live according to this kingdom agenda means that we don't live according to the flesh. Or, another way of looking at it, our old nature. Okay, we don't have to become aesthetic to the sense that we're going to take some whips and we're going to whip our flesh into conditioning. This is not biblical. All right? You can whip your body all you want, but unless your nature's been changed, and nothing's going to happen. When he talks about the flesh, it's not talking about this. It's talking about the more encompassing of who you are. Our own nature is anti-God. It is pro-self and pro-living any kind of way you want. The new nature is transformed to live in a manner that God calls you to live in. And this is what we're dying to. We're dying to our old nature, living according to the Spirit. So the text tells us to walk in the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit simply means to follow the direction, the dictates, and the will of the Spirit of God. Notice, this is an imperative. This is a command he starts off with, but it's followed by a great promise. So when you walk by the, uh, the Spirit, guess what? You won't carry out the desires of the flesh. See, command with a promise. Walk according to the Spirit. Therefore, guess what's going to happen? You won't carry out the desires of the flesh. You say, how do I have victory over the things I'm struggling with? Well, you walk according to the Spirit. Therefore, you won't give in to the things of the flesh. Remember, we talked about this since last week. The, the word for desire can be both positive and negative. There are godly desires, and then there's desires of the flesh. As a people of the kingdom of God, we're called to live out godly desires. And those desires are those that glorify the Lord. Yet we don't do it in our own strength either. We do it in the strength that comes from trusting in the Lord. See, it goes back to what Christ has done. We start from that place. We walk according to the Spirit, not by our own strength, but by the Spirit's power. Notice verse 17. The text tells us that the flesh and the Spirit are at war with one another. And what do we mean when we say the flesh? Well, it's not just what you physically see. It encompasses your mind, your will, and the emotions. Those things that don't line up with the will of God. That which people place their trust in besides the Lord. Romans 7.23 says this. But I see a different law in the parts of my body. This is the Apostle Paul talking. Waging war against what? The law of my mind. And taking me prisoner to the law of sin. In parts of my body, you see the struggle he's having there. So here's the thing, as a Christian, we're in good company when we're saying, man, I'm wrestling with these things. But yet I continually fight and stand firm in the Spirit. As the common saying goes, the struggle indeed is real. 
It's real. The, the reality of living this life as a Christian is real. And we find ourselves in these imperfect bodies, in this broken world, dealing with this reality that there is a war between the spirit and the flesh. Galatians 5.17, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit. And the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. That means that, that you desire to do these godly things, and yet oftentimes it seems like you get tripped up by your own self wrestling with these things. The spirit within us causes us to desire those things that please God. The spirit gives us desire to even do God's will. So notice, our desire to do God's will is even lent by the spirit of God abiding in us. In fact, it's the spirit that works within us to will and desire to obey the Lord. So see, even when you desire and you obey the Lord, you can't pat your own self on the back. Yes, man, it's the Spirit of God working in me. See, we can't boast in anything. When you're operating the spiritual gift, you can't boast in it. It's not yours anyway. It's the Spirit's. We, all we can do is boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. Why then is there such a war? And who is exempt from this? The reality is there are no sideline Christians. If you profess Christ, you have been drafted into the war. You're like, Pastor, I don't want to fight. I'm a lover, not a fighter. I hate to tell you, you're going to be a lover and a fighter in this. You have been drafted into a war whether you like it or not. If you're in this kingdom, then that makes you an enemy of the kingdom of darkness. But because you've been made alive by the Spirit, the Spirit is at war with the old nature that once lived in allegiance to the kingdom of darkness. Remember, Paul here is addressing the person who's been born again. He's talking to believers here. The person who has been filled with the Spirit of God. So this is not a negative in a sense, saying the believer is not victorious, but he's giving them a reality that believers are indeed in a war. In this war against the flesh, the believer has victory, and that victory is found in walking with the Holy Spirit. Under the law, which is good, we see even the Ten Commandments, God's law is good. But the reality is the law shows us our sinfulness. It magnifies it. So instead of keeping the law when we see it, our flesh goes against it, which leaves us then guilty before God. However, when we're born again, the Spirit, which brings life, now le leads us to live in a manner which is not against the law of God. So we're not trying to obey God's law on our own strength. No, we're born again. We are new creatures, so we live to just love God and love others. Therefore, we're fulfilling the whole of the law. We're not earning our salvation. No, we're living in light of our salvation. We're living in light of what Christ has done, in the fullness of Christ. See, the old nature seeks to work its way up to God. It tries more. It tries to honor God in its works. It tries not to commit adultery. It tries not to slander. It tries all these things. Yet the new creature in Christ has been transformed and lives a new life by the Spirit of God. Not in their own strength, but in the power of the Lord. The way of life lived according to the Spirit is a way of life, and therefore that way of life does not lead to death. We can see what the text is saying here. The kingdom citizen now has a new leader. 
The kingdom citizen has a new life, and that new life is governed and led by the Holy Spirit. This is bigger than gifts, but it's our character and life being shaped and transformed into the image of Christ. How then is a person led by the Spirit? The Bible tells us in numerous ways, by presenting your entire body, your entire members. Remember we talked about the flesh being your mind, your will, your emotions, everything. That means we're submitting our entire selves to the Spirit of God who is abiding in us. We're now the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we're saying, God, however you want to lead, lead me. Lead me how you want. Teach me how you want. Lord, if I'm not living in accordance with how you desire, if I'm not raising my kids how you want, if I'm not doing the things that you want me to do, then Lord, take away the things in me that desire to live anti-you. Help me to live according to your will and your way. Now, will we struggle with this? Of course, that's the whole point. This is why he says, now we die daily. We present ourselves. We ask the Lord to renew our minds. Again, this is not condemnation because in Christ there is no condemnation. But this is saying to us, when we struggle, one, we shouldn't get down on ourselves. Or we shouldn't say, see how bad of a Christian I am. It should seek of the reality of how much I need the Lord. It should be that in the body of Christ, when a brother or sister comes and says, I'm struggling, we should not be sitting back shocked. They just may have a different struggle than you. They may just be a little further along than you, and you come along and encourage them and say, look, there's victory. Let's walk together. I can guarantee you they got folks in this room right now struggling with sexual morality, but we're a few afraid to tell somebody because of how the way somebody's going to look at you. If statistics are true that many of us in this room, or many people in this room who are struggling with pornography addictions, but yet won't say anything because what are people going to think? Yet the Bible tells us to walk in the light as he is in the light. Confessing your sins to one another. So if you're struggling, don't leave here struggling. Confess your sins to the Lord and one another so you may find help. Oh, I know, I know. This is the Holy Crew. I know. Because see, you know, none of us struggle. Most of our homes are not perfect. Even the godliness of us are still wrestling with this. Some of you wrestled this morning with your own spouse. Lord, help me not to cuss them out, Jesus. Help me, Lord. They ain't me no more, Lord. They ain't me. It's a reality. This is why we say Christianity meets you at the street level of your life. It's not pie in the sky we're talking about. We're talking about daily living. So then what do we see here? The works of the flesh lead to death. The works of the flesh lead to death. When we get to verse 19, we see here now the works of the flesh are obvious. Now, he gives us a very scattered list of over 15 obvious works of the flesh. Now, this is not even an exhaustive list. I mean, he probably could have keep going on and on and on. A couple of things to note here. Notice these are works of the flesh. 
Essentially, this is talking about the overall result of the outworking of the flesh. So when you live according to the flesh, these are the things that come from it. Just like the Bible says, the wages of sin equals death. What sin pays out is always death. What the flesh pays out is always these things, self-destruction. It leads to death. In fact, Mark 7, 21 through 23. This is a little side note. If anyone ever tells you Jesus never addressed homosexuality, transgender, um, you know, sexual morality, they are presenting you a Christ that does not exist. Jesus addressed this how? By addressing the heart condition of every human being. Mark 7. These are the words of our Lord Jesus. For from within... Out of people's hearts come, listen, evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. You ever seen someone be like, that is just foolish. Where did it come from? Out of the heart. Jesus goes on to say, all these evil things come from within and defile a person. These are the things that makes a person unclean. This is a, these are the things from the heart that separates them from God. It is the heart that God desires to transform. Now we also have to note here, as we look at this, Paul is not saying here, if you sin in one of these areas, you're not in the kingdom of God. But we see here is he gives a warning to the Galatians here. Why? Well, there were those who desired to put them back into slavery, who desired to put them back into bondage, desired to put them under the law, and some were being pulled in this way and that way. See, we who are set free do not live. That's the operative word here. We're not living, meaning we don't have a habitual lifestyle of this. That's the difference. We're not saying if you struggle in, with one of these things, all of a sudden, see, you're not in the kingdom. No, it's the reality that if you're living according to the flesh, he's saying, don't look to inherit the kingdom of God because you're still living in the kingdom of darkness. He says, look, I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before. Now, when he writes to the Galatians, He's not writing just to this one particular church. This letter was broadly read aloud, read all over the place. He says, the warning is, I warned you before, that those who practice, that's the opportune word right there, practice such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? It shows the reality their hearts have not been transformed. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? You must be born again. Your heart must be transformed. Well, what things? The things that are of the kingdom of darkness, not the kingdom of light. So it seems as if we have an identity issue here. Notice as we walk through these things, each word there, we would read this and say, see, these are all verbs. A verb is what? An action. These aren't verbs. These are nouns. A noun is a person, place, or thing, right? So it's identifying in the nominative. It's identifying that which this person is. Let me help you something. If it's saying it's a noun, it's, it's an identifier. 
Our identities in Christ no longer line up with this because our identities have been changed. When we get to the fruits of the Spirit, they're not verbs either. They're nouns. And we're going to see that in a second. So it's not simply some actions, but it's a way of living that comes from who you actually are. For the professing Christian to live in a manner that is not in line with, with who they are as a kingdom citizen, a new creation, is coming then in allegiance with a foreign enemy kingdom. This then is tantamount to divine treason. You ever thought about that? To line up with the kingdom of darkness is treachery. It is treasonous to the kingdom of light. So he warns them. The born-again believer is therefore not in allegiance with the kingdom of darkness. So to even say the phrase, I am a blank Christian. Let me, let me help you out here. I am a homosexual Christian. I am a transgender Christian. I am a racist Christian. I am a envious Christian. Uh-uh. How can you have two identities operating at the same time? You know what integrity means? Integrity means wholeness. So you are actually being not integrous to your identity to identify with something else that God says you're not. Come on, is this helping somebody? No, if you are a Christian, if you are in the kingdom, that's it. That is who I identify as. Understand, God doesn't operate in a fantasy world make-believe. He operates in realities. Because what you believe affects how you live. I am... A Christian. I am a kingdom citizen. Why? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. If anyone in, is in Christ, they are a new creation. You know, we, we don't do that justice. You have then been transformed from one thing to the next. You are, you are no longer what you used to be. You are a new creature. And the world calls you peculiar. It just can't figure us out. What, what exactly are you? you? Why are you loving on people? Why are you not hating folks? Why you keep not wanting to identify the way we want you to identify? We don't understand you. You're not, you, you, you keep saying it's the kingdom thing. It's not Republican. It's not Democrat. You identify with Jesus alone. We don't like y'all. All I can say, if they hated my master, they're going to hate me as well. But so many of us want to identify with the world and the identity they give us instead of being satisfied with being identified with Christ. I know this, uh, this, this is not popular preaching because to Gen Z it says, what, who, why are you judging? I'm not judging. 
I'm trying to tell you that if you keep identifying with this world system and saying, world system, you can come to Jesus and keep the world's identity and have the Christian identity, you yourself need to tie a millstone around your neck and be drowned into the sea for lying to people and leading them to hell. It goes to show you, you yourself don't understand the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ. But let's not just get on Gen Z, let's get on some of the older folks as well. As you keep telling folks, you need to be this way, you got to have these things, you got to have all this kind of stuff, you got to vote like this and do like this. Let me tell you something, it's the kingdom and the kingdom alone. It's his agenda and his agenda alone. I'm like Tony Evans, I, I'm, I'm a kingdom independent at this point. Because I don't line up with none of them. One of the things I notice here is the works of the flesh outlined. We see that it's a devaluing of the body. It's a perversion of the spiritual and it's a hatred or misuse of others. We don't have time to go through each of these. But we see the text dealing with the heart of mankind and its rebellion against its creator and its misuse of others. If we took a big overview, we see the sexual sins here. Listen, sexual morality or pornea. That's where we get pornography, pornography from. You know the average age of a child encountering pornography is nine years old? You know that? Sexual morality, the, the over-encompassing pornea. It's significant that the first three acts that Paul lists of sins have to do with loose sexual relations. Uncleanliness then speaks of defilement, of sexual sin and separation from God that it brings. The remedy for this is confession and repentance. So if you're in this, guess what? There's confession, there's repentance, there's freedom in Christ. Debauchery then speaks of the total loss of limits, the lack of restraint, decency, and self-respect. Acts of sexual morality, although often done in the name of love, as one commentator said, are really the antithesis of love, which is the foremost fruit of the Spirit. You know, anytime people talk about, especially in school, they're going to give sex education, they always act like the body doesn't follow your emotions. You know what the Satanists, you know what the Satanists say? Satanists, you ask them, what is the law? Do what thou will, for that is the whole of the law. Live any way you want. Free love, free sex, live all kind of way you want. That is the mantra of the Satanists. Why would that be our mantra? Acts of sexual immorality are done in the name of love, but it's not love. Spiritual perversion. Witchcraft. This is, the word witchcraft there is, is pharmakia. In fact, at its roots, is literally to, to drug. This is where we get the word pharmacy from. In fact, in classical Greek, the use of drugs were either for medicinal or more sinister purposes. In the New Testament, however, it associates with the occult as well. Uh, you know, look, here's the thing. 
In New Orleans, weed must be a recreational activity. I ain't going to lie. Here's the question I have. If we're supposed to be lucid of mind, why then would you participate in something that doesn't make you lucid of mind? You smoke enough weed, guess what's going to happen? Your whole perspective in life is going to be off. But you don't know I need it. Well, number one, it's not legal here. Number two, even if it was, why would you want to go to something that's going to pervert your way of thinking and let you lose self-control? It's not just dabbling in the occult, but it's also using any sort of illicit drugs. This idea of drunkenness or alcohol abuse was a feature in urban life in the Roman Empire. And Paul expected a different, higher standard of those who belong to Christ. It's not about how close we can get to the line. It's about enjoying the freedom that we have within the boundaries that God has given us. So while the Bible does clearly teach that drinking is not a sin, but drunkenness, why then would you want to engage in drunkenness to be looking like the world? Hatred for others, uh uh-oh. Discord. See, this is the thing, you know how we operate. Preaching past that sexual morality, that homosexuality, yeah. Go ahead home, uh-huh. Okay, I'm going to help you too. Hatred for others. Discord. In the New Testament, this word is unique to Paul as it characterizes the strife and discord that beset so many of his congregations. This is what Paul always was dealing with. Why are y'all acting a fool with one another? We, we, Pastor, we about to fight up in here. What do you mean you about to fight over what? You, you, we about to fight. I can guarantee you, churches that have discord do not please the Lord. For the Bible tells us the Lord hates the brother or the person who sows discord. So if that's you, you need to check your heart. That means you can sow discord by telling people half-truths, talking about folks behind their back, talking about how you don't like this or that, and then this is a big one. Some people are saying. Who are some people? I can't divulge that. That means some people is you. Just say what you say. I'm saying X, Y, Z. But sometimes not some people say it becomes some people are saying and then I got to go tell some people what I'm thinking so that I can get them over my side. And then that's where we have factions from. Which becomes the word heresy. That's where we get the word heresy from. Divisions among us. Uh, you you got to come on my side. You got to vote like you got. This is foolish. You say that's mean. The Bible says it's foolish. Selfish ambition. It's term derived from political culture, the ancient Greece, which meant office seeking or canvassing for office, climbing the ladder of success, manipulating the process for personal gain. Oh, well, you know what? We're going to vote this Sunday. So I need to go get my group here. I got to get my group. What, what are we? What are we? We're not the world. Fits of rage. Here in Galatians, it means passionate outbursts of ang- anger or hostile feeling. 
fits of race. That means going off on folks. Sister so-and-so, she go from zero to 100 quick. Sister so-and-so needs sanctification. You need to lean more into the Holy Spirit. Because if you, now here's the thing, this is how we got the double standard. Pastor, you never supposed to go zero to 100. Pastor, you go zero to 100, you, you need to step down. Pastor, you got to hear everything, every, every abusive word, what they don't like, what I see, what I don't like to see, what you're not doing, how you're not doing this, all this kind of stuff. You got to make sure you stay on zero. Be long-suffering, pastor. But us is, oh no, you do one wrong thing, zero to 110. In our homes, on our jobs. We just had a road rage incident the other day in New Orleans. Somebody shot another person because they got mad. This is not condemnation for the Christian because we all may struggle with one or more of these things. But it's a call to life. It's a call to lean and walk with the Spirit and kill the flesh. Not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. This is not condemnation because there's no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. This is a call to walk in the freedom we have in Christ. There's a difference in fighting the battle against the flesh and rolling over and simply saying, the flesh is just too powerful, and it's simply one. Where do we go? The, the spirit then leads to life. The spirit then leads to life. Look at our last point. Our last point, I'm going to sit down and leave you alone. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against these things. The text lays out for us the underbelly and the reality of the flesh. It's a warning to every believer that this is not the lifestyle of those in the kingdom of light but the kingdom of darkness. It's a reminder that we've been set free by the Lord Jesus. It is for freedom that you've been set free. So don't go back to the bondage. Stay free. Remain free. Remember how the chains were. Remember the freedom. This is why we celebrate communion together. It brings us backwards and forwards. Remember what Jesus has done, and then remember the life that he's called us to. Notice that here the text tells us that there are works, plural, the flesh. But yet we see their fruit of the Spirit, singular. The flesh and the lifestyle is one of the works it repays, not with life, but death. And the very wages of sin, as the Bible tells us, is death. But the fruit of the Spirit is not something you muster more up of. Like, you know, I got to be more patient. I got to be more kind. No, you're not mustering up more of this. These are nouns. They're not verbs. So this literally a part of the life of the believer who is walking with the Spirit. They're a cluster that come from a life of a believer. John 15. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This cluster of fruit that comes from leaning and walking with the Holy Spirit. Essentially, as the Christ follower, guess what? The more I walk in step with the Spirit, the more love, joy, peace, kindness, patience. Patience is what flows from my life. So I'm not trying to push fruit out. I'm leaning and trusting in the Spirit of God, and the fruit then flows through me because of that relationship. Think of the fruit of the Spirit as being that cluster 
that comes from that relationship. The works of the flesh are from human beings, but the work of the Spirit are only produced by the Spirit-filled life. Notice one of the first fruit of the Spirit here is love. This, the world's idea of love is all about self. Yet love here is the love we're talking about that was shed abroad by Christ, and it's shed abroad in the heart of believers. It's from the Lord, and now it enables us to love one another and love our enemies. It's a love that doesn't seek its own self-interest. It loves. You know the danger today, especially with a lot of the talk, trying to like, you know, rectify a lot of the racial stuff and stuff like that? The danger within the church is this. We're going to be, you got to be careful that the world does not start having you categorize folks who are different than you, but believe in Christ the same as you, as your enemies. Let that sit for a second, because I'm a lie, I ain't going to lie to you. Some of us will leave here and start, you know, oh, it's kumbaya up in here. We sing it, I praise the Lord and, and praise the Lord. But then we get out there and get with Grandma Loretha and them and like, you know them people. What do you mean you go to church with some of them people? You get around Grandma Loretha and them, you act like you're not even a Christian. Love says, I can love folks who are my enemy. Even when, guess what, they're enemy, and we haven't even talked about persecution yet. We're called to love our enemies. I already know, some folks just don't like, I just love my enemies. You don't know, Pastor. Joy. Joy is the, what we have that the, the Lord gives us, the world doesn't give to us. In fact, it's something the flesh, do you understand? Joy, the flesh can't muster up because the, the flesh is all about just happiness and self-gratification. Joy is what comes even through suffering. This is divine joy. This is a joy that you have in rejoicing in the Lord always. See, in the Old Testament, they had feasts, times of rejoicing. We don't have the feasts anymore. We get to gather every week and rejoice together. We can rejoice in the prison cell and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We can rejoice always in the Lord. Whether eating, whether dying, we find that righteousness, peace, and joy is in the Holy Spirit. The root for joy is the word for grace as well. This is the reason why we rejoice and celebrate together. Peace. The Greek word irene is the state of freedom from anxiety and inner turmoil. It's peace. It comes from the reality of not having to walk in anxiety and worry. Patience. It's the idea of long-suffering. Just as the Lord is long-suffering with us, it refers to that quality of mind that disposes us to take everything in good part Listen to this. Patience is not just having time with your children. It's not. That's part of it. Patience is this. Taking everything in good part and not easily being offended. Woo! I'm going to say it one more time. Not easily offended. Do you know you're supposed to think the best of your brother? You're supposed to think the best. You're supposed to think the best intentions of your brother, but so many times we think the worst of our brother. 
And sadly, in our culture and culture context, if they look different than me, I have to think that they're the worst. No, we think the best. Until somebody shows us different, we think the best. It's the ability to put up with other people even when it's not an easy thing to do. Kindness. The world system operates in niceness. Niceness says I will lie to you and never be truthful to you. Kindness says I will stand firm enough in the truth and in compassion and in conviction. Our Lord is kind and his kindness is shown throughout generations. It is kind, it's his kindness that leads men to repentance. Gentleness. Gentleness is really strength under control. I could crush you, but I won't. I could crush you, but I won't. It's strength under control. And then what we see last is self-control. Mastery of one's desires and passions. Living in obedience to the will of God. Submitting ourselves. It's willfully killing our flesh. Now those who belong to Christ have, been, have crucified the flesh with his passions and his desires. We who belong to Jesus are called to live not like the pig going back to his slop, but we're called to live as pigs no longer. Why? The Christian isn't a pig. You're a saint. You're a part of the people of God. You're a kingdom citizen. You're a born again. No longer, you will not taste death like this world. And so we're called to live in that manner. And if you have thoughts, if you have a lifestyle, if you have anything that's not lining up with that and you're a follower of Christ, it calls you to repent because God is not condemning you. He's calling you to himself. So how do we apply this? I know you're like, come on, Pastor, sit down. You can talk enough. All right. How do we apply this? Here's the first one. Is your identity first in Christ alone? Or are your words, I am blank Christian? You just put in the blank whatever you need to. Do you identify with Christ alone? Or you had to add something to it? What about this one? What would change in your life if you were in step with the Spirit? That's something I want you to think about this week. What would change in your life if you were in step with the Spirit? That in step just means like a military term. It means to come in line, come under, follow in the line. Here's the last one. What is the Spirit calling you to surrender in your life? What is the Spirit calling you to surrender? As you think about this, how does God want you to respond? Maybe you've not been born again and you need to trace, place your faith and trust in Christ. And guess what? If you're watching this, you're in person, you can do that today. Repent, turn. He says, come to him. But if you're a Christian and you're struggling with these things, come into the light. Let someone help you. You can talk to me after. You can talk to one of our leaders. We'd love to help you and walk with you. Be a part of a group. Get a part of a D group. We got our D groups that are going to be starting. Find where God has you to grow in your faith, to walk with the Spirit. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. I thank you, Lord, that your mercy is shown to us through the finished work of Christ. So, Lord, you're not condemning your people, but you're calling your people to come, to walk in the light. God, I thank you for your grace, for your mercy. 
It's in Jesus' name. Amen.